that change. And I want to talk to you this morning about the terrorism of happiness. I had this phrase that I found a professional counselor who is something of a Christian. I don't know exactly, but uh, this uh, counselor who was using this phrase uh, on a video that I was watching, the terrorism of happiness. And he was saying that uh, we in our American culture have have made happiness our idol. And it is a very terrorist dictator. And I am going to... He used the word terrorism of happiness. I'm going to use the word idolatry of happiness. That we chase happiness thinking that it's actually achievable. And like any idol, the people who worship it give it all of their time and money, and eventually it takes their life. Like any God. This, we have this idea in the church and in the world that we're supposed to be happy and that if we're not happy, something is wrong. But this man that I was listening to said, God has given us this full range of emotions. And picking out the one that we like that feels good and saying, this is the only one I want to feel, is like looking at a rainbow and saying, I want the whole thing to be blue. I don't want the rest of the colors. I just want the one that I like, the one that makes me feel good. An example that I thought of is thinking that I should only feel happy all the time is like saying I'm only going to eat sugar because I like it and it tastes good. And what will happen if I do that? It will kill me. Because there's a lot of food out there that God made for us to eat that isn't fun to eat, but we absolutely must have it nutritionally. Come on. God put a lot of emotions in our soul, experiences in our life that are not fun, but we must have them. If you want to live a Skittles and syrup, and Pepsi life, it will kill you. Trying to live on happiness alone will destroy your soul. It's a terrorist dictator because you'll never actually get there if you think that's all you're supposed to have. Just like living on sugar alone is deadly, trying to experience only happiness is actually deadly. Believing that the joy of the Lord, even as Christians, we're very good about making this religious, but we do the same thing the world does. And we we try to believe that the joy of the Lord means that I'm supposed to be happy all the time. That's actually destructive. If you listen to the Bethel teachers, you've heard maybe Bill Johnson say before that he's quoting a psychiatrist saying that most of the psychosis of the world are people trying to avoid pain. So emotionally and psychotically, we cover up our pain, try to compensate for our pain, deny that it's real. You may have heard uh, Chris Vallotton's story about how terribly violent and destructive his childhood was as his mom went from man to man to man to man. So when he got married, he told his wife, before they got married, I will only marry you if we promise that we will never fight. And so they didn't for 10 years. He said, and it, it nearly killed us. Because if you can't be anything but happy and peaceful, you'll kill yourself. 
Because those emotions, other emotions are real. And squashing them down will literally drive us insane. It will literally drive us insane. If we believe, even as Christians, that to be in the joy of the Lord means that I'm happy all the time. It's severely destructive. Believing that sorrow or anger or pain are ungodly is really, really dangerous. But yet there's whole books and whole ministries based on, hey, if you're a Christian, you've got to be joyful. Well, we do, but that's not the only thing. There are other equal emotions that God put there. The terrorism of happiness. Whether people in the world or whether we as Christians, like I said, we're really good at making it sound religious and godly, but we're doing the same thing as the world when we chase after happiness. What the Bible calls the lusts of the flesh, we would really just say a desire for anything that becomes an addiction or we have to have it or an obsession. It's really all just a grasping at satisfaction. An alcoholic has had a million cans of beer, but man, this next one is finally going to satisfy me. Nope. The guy that has watched thousands of hours of porn, I know I'm always left empty and dissatisfied, but man, I just, I got to see it again. And this time, I will finally be satisfied. Never happens. The person who's shooting up, been doing it for decades and it's killing me, but man, the next high is going to be the one. It's the one. I'll finally be happy. Money is a drug to people who lust after it. You never have enough. Well, if I just make this amount of money, I'll be happy. But when you get there, it's like, well, no, there's three or four things more I need. And then there's 10 or 12 more things that I need. And then there's 10 or 12 more things that I need. And it never, ever satisfies. It's, and these things end up being addictions. They end up destroying us as we grasp after satisfaction and happiness. A woman that moves from destructive relationship to destructive relationship and finally somewhere, oh yeah, this is the man. This is finally the guy that's going to treat me right and take care of me. I know I've been through 14 of them, but this one finally is going to be the fantasy marriage. Our desires that we give ourselves to, they're really just a grasping after satisfaction. We're always chasing after pain-free living. We're chasing a dream. We're chasing some imagination that I'll finally feel good tomorrow. I'll finally have enough tomorrow. And like I said, in the church, we make it really good, sound really religious. We're going we're gonna to pray for these good things to happen because I'm not happy right now. I'm going to be religious about it, so instead of complaining, I'm just going to go complain to God and call it prayer. God, change this and fix that and change this and bring revival and do this because I'm bored and I'm unhappy and, and I want more. Well, we're really good at saying I want more of God. It's really just dissatisfaction. 
what we really do, what we're really doing is we're saying uh, the present is unacceptable. Jesus taught a lot of things by saying, you have heard it said, but I tell you. This morning, I'm going to tell you some things you may have never heard. Some of you may be really provoked. Some of you might be angry. A lot of people first service were really set free from depression, anxiety, fear, suicide when we went over this stuff because the world so totally lies to us. And then preachers come into the church and preach the message of the world, and it's a lie. So you've heard it said, the world says, chase your dreams, create your own life, make your own way. I'm telling you, it is a setup for anxiety and depression, anger and dissatisfaction, fear and suicide. This counselor that I was listening to this week, he said, after dealing with a couple thousand people, both believers and not, I would assume, he said, after dealing with a couple thousand people, I find this, that most people's goals that they set from weight loss to career to money to whatever, most people's goals, 99% of them, are pure selfishness because they can't live with who they are right now. Examples. I want to lose 30 pounds. Not primarily because it will make me healthier, but because I find my present self unacceptable and I'm going to make a goal that if I lose 30 pounds, I will be more desirable. I will approve of myself better. I will get more attention. I will look better. That's total selfishness. It's a refusal to accept who I am. It is rejection. He called it self-rejection. It is most of our goals. Pretty much everything we do is dissatisfaction with who I am or where I'm at or what I have today. So I have to lose weight or I have to move or I have to get a new job or I have to change this or God needs to change this or God needs to change that. And it's the idolatry of happiness. We're chasing after things. We call them goals. And they might even have a good effect. But really they're selfish. I will be happy if I lose 30 pounds. You lose 30 pounds, you're not happy. You may really like the compliments you get. That's pride. Not happiness. Even if you cloak it as health and fitness, eat right and exercise every day, die anyway. I'm sure that's in Ecclesiastes somewhere. <laughs> Even fitness and health, it's still a grasping after the wind. I'm certainly not saying don't set goals. I'm not saying don't be healthy. I'm not saying don't live a disciplined life. Yes, have a direction. Yes, be disciplined. I'm not saying be lazy, don't have a direction, or don't discipline yourself. I'm just saying that when we set our goals, we better be honest about why we want what we want. This guy says nearly every time it is dissatisfaction with who I am or where I'm at or what I have. And I have this imagination 
that I will be happy if I can just do this, or if I can get that, or if I can buy this, or if I can lose this weight, or I can move to this town, or I can get this next biggest house, or if I just made enough money to make the payments on that car, then I would be happy. And it's all a lie. It is the terrorism of happiness. Because we'll never, ever be happy chasing after happiness. People who want more money. If I just had this much money in my retirement account, or if I just made this amount of money, then I would have a comfortable standard of living. Well, how many people make more money than that and they're not satisfied? Come on. You've heard the stories about the lottery winners that kill themselves. There's way more happy poor people than there are happy rich people because it's never enough. We make goals of education or career or accomplishment. It's just, mostly, it's power and pride. I want a label. I want a degree. I want some initials after my name. People have a goal of some fantasy of escape somehow. It's really fear or nostalgia or isolation. Even in ministry, Paul says, a lot of preaching gets done out of selfish ambition. And I can say amen to that. There's a lot of preachers out there who are doing it for themselves. And they want a big name, they want to write a big book, they want to preach to lots of people. If they were doing it for Jesus, they would be happy if there were six people in the room because they would love those people. So many are loving themselves and they want a big crowd or they're not happy. Goals that we set. We better ask a question. If you have a goal, have goals. By all means, have goals. Do it. But when you set a goal, you better be real honest with yourself Am I rejecting myself with this goal? Meaning, am I rejecting who I am right now and who Jesus loves today? Do I have a ridiculous expectation that I will be happier tomorrow? If you do, then the goal is not worth it. If you're being humble and it's repentance from sin, get it done. There's a difference. Is my goal self-hatred or is my goal because of love toward God? Is my goal selfish change or is it selfless repentance? Is my goal, am I the one that benefits if I do this or is God the one that benefits if I do this? Goals are nearly always chasing after a happiness that has somehow eluded us. So we make our New Year's resolutions, we make our career goals, our money goals, our relationship goals, our Possession goals, I want this boat and then I'll be happy. I want a four-bedroom house instead of three. Our goals are usually, we use them as a drug that covers over our feelings of failure. We use them as a proof to ourselves that we are not inadequate. We use goals as self-delusion that we matter because we work and build and learn. Our goals are a desire for immortality because we've accomplished something. They're a powerful illusion that we are in control of our lives and our destinies. Because whatever goal you have, you are imagining yourself in front of a big crowd. Or you are imagining yourself in some gigantic house. Or you are imagining yourself 50 pounds lighter. The word imagine comes from image, which is an idol. Come on. I have this image this imagining of who I will be. 
and I am going to make that happen. And then, when I arrive wherever that is, in the bigger house or the better body, or more money, or the degree, when I get there, then I'll be happy. And it becomes our idol. Rather than just be loved today. Our goals are images. They're imaginings of what life would be if I would accomplish that or if I would have that or if I would feel this. And here you are in reality today and your imagining is that I want to be this person. The distance between those two is your unhappiness. If you accept the reality is here and your picture of yourself is honest, this is who I am. It's where I'm at. God loves me. I'm okay. Zero unhappiness. If the reality is this is who I'm at and where I'm at today, but this is where I expected to be by this age, well, then now I'm unhappy. Because you, you, we convince ourselves we could have had that. We could have been that, except for my ex. Except for the person that robbed me. Except for the boss that fired me. I would have been on that career track. We're blaming other people We're living in unhappiness. So-and-so else ruined my life. Come on. Imagining some goal out in the future, James says it's pride. James 4, 13 to 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. We're really good in church at cloaking our goals as faith. But really, most of the time, What we call faith is a refusal to accept the present. It is complaining prayer. God, my situation is not making me happy. I want you to change it. Real faith is completely at peace in the present moment. Come on. Faith knows there's a tomorrow. And I'm moving into it and God will be there. And it's not wrong to pray for healing or pray for provision or God to fix a problem. But real faith is completely peaceful now. If what you're doing is wishing your life away, waiting for God to make you win the lottery, that isn't faith. That's complaining. You call it prayer, God calls it whining. Real faith will be completely peaceful and very, very thankful right now. Chasing happiness means, by definition, I'm not happy. Come on. If I'm chasing something, that means I don't have it. 
The terrorism of happiness is what I'm talking about. It is this elusive goal that is always out in front of us that we can never, ever get. If it's just, oh, tomorrow I will have enough money. Tomorrow I will lose the weight. Tomorrow I will earn the degree. Tomorrow, tomorrow, and we're never happy today. We're never satisfied in the present. Chasing happiness automatically means, by definition, that we're unhappy. Whether it's money or the next relationship will be better, or the career, the next job, the next place, the next whatever. It'll, it'll be all right. Or in, in church, we do really well. It's like, well, tomorrow there'll be revival. God, it'll be more exciting tomorrow. I'm bored today, but it'll be exciting tomorrow. It's a dissatisfaction with the present. In 2014, for the first time in history, the suicide rate of people aged 40 to 55 surpassed the teen suicide rate in America. People 40 to 55, those of you in that age group, you know we are called Generation X. We're the generation that never has had an identity from the time we were born, we, we didn't have a depression, we didn't have a great well, world war, we're just, we've been called Generation X. We were born under fears of nuclear holocaust, there was no future, the world was going to end. The world was all afraid of nuclear holocaust, the church was all afraid of rapture. Everything from the time we were littlest kids has been, there is no future. And now we're age 40 to 55, and our suicide rate is surpassing teenagers because we've been a generation with no future from the very beginning. Two-thirds of us are on antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs. We are an unhappy generation. It, w- the world used to call it a midlife crisis, but our entire generation is having one that never ends. Because it's, I don't have the career I wanted. I don't have a fantasy marriage. I'm 45 or 50 and I don't have enough money saved for retirement and I'm overweight and I'm starting to get wrinkles and I'm afraid for my kids' future and how are we going to pay for their college and my parents are getting too old to fully take care of themselves and just when I'm getting free for my kids, now I have to take care of my parents. And I'm divorced or alone or I'm on my second and third marriage and they're not any easier than my first. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I don't have the life that I imagined when I was 15 and 25. Imagining equals unhappiness. Henry David Thoreau said, Happiness is a butterfly, that if you chase it with a net, you will never catch it. But if you will stand still, it will land on your shoulder. Happiness is a butterfly. If you chase it, you will never catch it. But if you will just be still, it will come and land on your shoulder. Jesus lived day to day, night to night, meal to meal. He said, I have no place to lay my head. He said to us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. How much of today do we waste preparing for tomorrow? How much of today or yesterday did you spend getting ready for today? And today you're going to spend getting ready for tomorrow, and tomorrow you're going to spend getting ready for Tuesday. How about live today? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Jesus said, consider the flowers in the field. 
Pay attention to the birds. God takes care of them. Yes, they have work to do. None of this is an excuse for laziness. None of this is an excuse for undisciplined living. The birds have to go get their own food, but they don't worry about tomorrow. They know God will provide it for them. Jesus said, if you want to come into the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a little child. The word little child that he used means toddler. A two-year-old does not have long-term accomplishment goals. Now, when Will was three, he, was prob- he probably was wondering what's for supper tomorrow night. I mean, before he got down from the lunch table, he would ask what was for supper. I mean, yeah, all of our kids very interested in food all the time. But I'm, just, I'm saying kids are not worried. Mom and dad will take care of me. A toddler is learning stuff and doing new things all the time, right? Learning to build things and manipulate hands and control body functions and, and speak and all these things that a little kid is learning all the time. They're doing something new. They're learning. They're conquering the world. They're, they're learning gravity and their body and, and personal interaction. They're learning stuff all the time, but they're not planning it out. They're not worried about what's going to come. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you even ask. He will take care of you. Just be his little child. Live today. Learn what you need to learn today. Do what you need to do today. Relax. Because chasing after happiness, that guy is a terrorist dictator. Just be happy. Abraham Lincoln says we are as happy as we choose to be. We're happy as we choose to be. Chasing after happiness, you'll never get it. But if you'll just stop and be happy, you will find out it's surprisingly easy. With the woman at the well, when Jesus met her, he didn't give her a list of 12 things that she needed to fix. You need to change this and fix that, stop this and correct this and all these different goals that he told her he loaded on all these burdens. He was very honest about her past. He made her face her past. This is who you are and what you have done. We're not going to sugarcoat it. And I know who you are now. But from this day forward, walk with me. Not a list of 18 things she has to change and correct and, and perform to earn approval. Just be honest about your past and let's move forward one day at a time. Come on. Jesus is that good. He does not load us down with burdens. Henry David Thoreau said, he said, I rarely meet a man that does not live in the past or the future. Almost no one lives in today. There are people who regret the past and they're stuck in it. Something they lost, something they're angry about, something they haven't forgiven, and they live in the past. Know anybody like that? Defines who they are. Other people live in the past in love. We call it nostalgia. Oh, if I just lived 100 years ago, life would have been so much easier. Oh, I wish I'd lived in the last generation because they don't have the problems that we do today. What a ridiculous imagination. We end up in paralysis if we idolize the past. Or we live in fear of the future. This bad thing's going to happen, and this bad thing's going to happen, and this terrible thing might happen, and, and we get paralyzed in fear of the future. And so we get stuck there and can't enjoy today. 
Or there's people who live in excitement about the future. Tomorrow is going to be so great. I can't wait to get there. All my problems will be solved when revival happens. Or all my problems will be solved when Trump gets elected. Or all my problems will be solved when I lose this weight or when I earn this money or I get this promotion and we live in excitement for the future, but we're wasting our life. Well, man, if the church would just get this fixed, well, then we could be happy and content. If we could just solve this social issue, then it would, it would fix America. Do you hear it? Henry David Thoreau said, people live in yesterday or tomorrow. They almost never live in today. We don't want to live in reality. We want to live in our imagination. Either about the past or the future, one or the other. God's name is I Am. Come on. He is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But his name is I am. Right now. The present moment. And that's it. He says, today is the day of salvation. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for revival. It is definitely wrong to waste time wishing for revival tomorrow. Start evangelizing and discipling people now, and you'll have more revival than you can handle. I'm totally serious. So many people wasting their life praying for revival in the future, and they're not doing anything to love anybody today. If you want revival, start coming on Thursday nights and disciple some youth group people. If you want revival, start witnessing to your neighbor down the street. If you want revival, start talking to your coworkers and your classmates and your students, and you will have more revival than you can handle. If you're bored with Christianity and the Christian life after a few decades, get back to work, and you will find it's not boring. There's more than you can do. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow and not yesterday. Do the work that needs done today instead of dreaming for some future revival or lottery winning or retirement or an empty nest or a fantasy marriage or a dream job or a dream house or, or, or. So what is our answer? How do we live in today? How do we get out of this dream mentality and this goal mentality where I don't like who I am, I don't like my life, I'm bored with church, I'm bored with my job, I'm unhappy with my marriage. How do we get out of that? First of all, there's the morality of humility. Nothing else will happen if you aren't realistic about who you are. I have to completely and honestly, fully, humbly admit this is who I am. Dirty laundry and all. It's not somebody else's fault. I got to be real humble and real honest about what is realistic. What can I do? I had these crazy dreams as a teenager now they're not happening. I can be unhappy or I can be real honest about what am I actually capable of. What is realistic for me to assume I'm going to live and accomplish in life? Paul said, I'm resolved to know nothing except Jesus and that he died for me. We know Paul knew so much that his writings have gone all over the world for 2,000 years. 
But he said, in myself, I am resolved that I will know nothing except Jesus. And that he died for me. At a certain point, we got to admit, a lot of our dreams, a lot of our imaginings, a lot of our goals, wasn't ever what God had planned. And i got to be resolved that I will know Jesus and nothing else. And I will be happy with what he planned for my life. And not waste time wishing for this other stuff that he didn't want. The morality of repentance. We got it sort of related, but we got to honestly admit where I've failed. I had plans for this and that, but I didn't get it done. I didn't do it. Or life happened. Other people sinned against us. Relationships break up. Jobs don't happen, don't work out. The economy gets bad, whatever. John Piper has a quote that I meant to have with me, but I don't. But the idea of it was, he said, every once in a while, you need to fall across the bed and cry for the life you wished you had, for all the things that you wanted that aren't happening. But then dry your eyes and get up and live life. It's totally fine to cry over what happened to you that you didn't want to happen or what you dreamed about that didn't come to reality. The marriage that got broken, the loss of a loved one, loss of childhood innocence, tragedy that happened, it's real. It's totally fine to cry. But at some point, you've got to dry your eyes and get up and move on. It happened. And then there's the morality of satisfaction related to what I just said, that we have to just accept reality as it is. We are morally required to be satisfied. We're morally required to be happy. Unhappiness is immoral. I'll prove it to you. Let me give you an example from your life, and then I'll give you an example from Scripture. If you were raised by dissatisfied, unhappy parents, you know that an unhappy, dissatisfied person is very destructive. And a whole lot of nodding going on. Whether your mother's unsatisfaction showed up as jumping from man to man to man, or your dad's dissatisfaction and unhappiness showed up in rage, or alcohol, or whether it was somebody in your family that was never financially satisfied and they keep making stupid financial investments thinking they're going to get rich quick and they waste all your money and you never have anything. Being dissatisfied, being unhappy is immoral. It's destructive. We are required to be happy. When the Israelites were in between Egypt army and the Red Sea, they cried out to God, we're going to die. And they were. But what is God's response? He's angry that they didn't trust him. Later they get across the Red Sea and they're out in the desert where there's no water and they're afraid and they cry out to God, we're going to die. If you're in the desert with no water, you would think of all possible scenarios in life. This would be one where it would be okay to be afraid. And God's response is anger. How dare you not trust me? Of course I will give you water. Come on. 
when they're out eating manna every day and they complain that they don't get meat and God sends them quail. He gets angry that they're complaining. You would think it would be all right. It's a little understandable anyway. We're in the desert with no water and food. It's not okay to be dissatisfied. If there was a verse my mom drilled into our heads as boys, it was God hates complaining. I don't know if it's in Exodus or Numbers or wherever it's at. Oh, man, did we get that one preached at us. God hates complaining. All right, Mom, we got it. Being dissatisfied is not okay. We are obligated to be happy because our unhappiness damages other people. Even in social situations between friends or acquaintances, you know you don't like talking to people that gripe. It's not any fun. It's a real downer. The people you talk to and you feel like you've been vomited on. All of their problems. And they may be real, but it still isn't any fun. Whining and complaining is the bad breath of the soul. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Come on, you don't like talking to people with offensively bad breath. You're going to back off. People who are offensively negative, you back off. You don't want to be their friend. And rightfully so. Who wants to be around somebody that complains all the time? It's offensive. It's offensive to God. Come on, they're in the desert with no water and they're going to die. And they say, God, we're going to die. It's true. But God takes offense. No, I will take care of you. Even now, in the desert with no water, it is not okay to complain. Well, we have never been in a situation that bad. So we have no right to complain or be dissatisfied. We are required to be happy, even if we don't feel like it. Be as happy as a mom with a new Chewbacca mask. You would say, but okay, but Mitch, you started out by saying that happiness isn't the only emotion. Yes, you're right. You're right. All of our other emotions are legitimate and okay. But there's a reason why people in past generations were more emotionally reserved in public than they are now, and it's called good manners. I said it's called good manners. Because it is offensive that you wear your heart on your sleeve and you call it being real. Yeah, well, we got our real too. When you dump your real on somebody else, it loads them down with burdens that are not theirs to bear. You don't like it if other people do that to you? Don't do it to other people. Well, Mitch, that's to be being fake. Yeah, but you're really good at being fake. If you're ranting at the kids who have been in some fight or get this bedroom cleaned up or whatever it is and some unexpected visitor knocks on the door, you can turn that off real quick. Moms and dads, yeah. If you and your spouse are having a very loud argument and some unexpected person knocks on the door, miraculous self-control shows up out of nowhere and you can smile and be sweet and welcoming to the UPS man. Or if God forbid the pastor show up at your door in the middle of that, or any of you show up at our house when that's going on. Come on, you can do it when you need to. And that's not ungodly. It isn't being fake, it's good manners. 
everybody's got their problems. Everybody, and I'm not saying you can't talk to your pastor or your home group leader or your best friend in the right time, in the right way, in the right place. Absolutely, you can bear your soul. But not to everybody all the time. You're whining about your coworker or your job or how it's unhappy and your health problems. And Well, no wonder nobody wants to be your friend. We're morally obligated to be happy, to be satisfied. Complaining is evil. It's not okay. Yesterday, Harvest was at a birthday party with a Hispanic girl in her class, and they had a real Mexican pinata situation going on, and the girl with the stick hit Harvest in the face. She's got a shiner right here going on right now. And we know that if that had happened by one of these three had hit her with a stick, she would blow the windows out of our house. (laughs) With a scream that will give you goosebumps. I picked her up from the party, and she's showing me the shiner. The mother was profusely apologetic. Like, it's okay. It's just life. It's all right. She'll heal. Uh, Anyway, and I asked Harvest on the way home in the pickup. I said, so did you scream? No, I just cried a little bit. Because I'm in front of my classmates, you know, I can't scream like I would at home. (laughs) Come on, you see where I'm going? Yeah? Come on, we can control ourselves when the time calls for it. Right? Don't come to church and whine. I'm not saying, let me say again, I'm not saying you can't talk to your pastor or your best friend or your parents or whatever when in the right time in the right place. It is not okay. To complain. We're morally obligated to be satisfied. If you chase after happiness, you will never get it. But if you just decide to be happy, miracle of miracles, you will be happy. If you think it's going to take this bigger house or nicer car or one more gun... Man, I've already got 17 rifles, but I just need that other caliber that I don't have yet. It's never going to end. It will never end. If you decide to be content, to be satisfied, to be happy, and to tough it out when you're not, you'll find it. Jesus says you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. But if you want to find your life, you lose it. Lose your life and you will find it. The world tells us, and unfortunately a lot of preachers tell us, you dream your dreams, you make your goals, you live the life that you've always dreamed, all that kind of garbage. That's fundamental selfishness. Jesus said if you want to find life, lose it. And Paul's explanation of that is, I don't want to know anything except Jesus. Whatever God gives me to do, I will do. So yes, there's accomplishment. Yes, there's tremendous goals. But it's in relationship with Jesus, and it's for His benefit and glory, and not for my own imaginations. I'm not going to find it chasing some dream or goal that I'm never going to accomplish. I'm going to find happiness in serving other people. You make it your goal to make other people happy, you will find supreme happiness. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or pride, but in humility of mind, 
Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Don't do anything out of selfishness or ambition. But in humility, think of what you can do for other people. Don't take care just of your own needs. God knows you have needs to take care of. You've got to feed the kids. You've got to plan ahead, raise a garden, or how, you know, whatever you do, save money in the savings account. Of course, that's totally legitimate. But think about how you can serve and bless other people, how you can make them happy, how you can give Jesus to them. You will find you will be supremely satisfied, very, very happy. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for your direction. Thank you for freedom from performance pressure. Lord, I break off chains of the lies that abound people that they have to accomplish this and they have to do this and they have to work this and they have to lose this weight and they have to earn this before they'll be approved. Lord, you said today is the day of salvation. We just receive your love today. We receive your acceptance today. And yes, we obey you into the future. We'll use this as an excuse to be lazy or undisciplined. But we receive your love today. Thank you for your acceptance. Thank you for your smile. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your assurance that you know what we need and that you will take care of us. Lord, forgive us for complaining. Please forgive us for being unthankful, dissatisfied with the steps that you have ordained for us. Forgive us for cloaking selfishness in religious terms. Lord, we want what you want. We want to walk with you. We want to live with you. We want to serve you. Lord, as you take us step by step, you will take us into glory and great accomplishment and fulfillment and satisfaction. But we'll do it in relationship with you, step by step, one day at a time. Forgive us for wasting the moment you give us, wishing that it was yesterday or waiting for tomorrow. We want to receive and do the work that you have for us to do today and nothing else. Thank you for peace, for joy, and contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.